0: Three keys to staying on the right track. So you might want to write that down. Three keys to staying on the right track. All around, you hear pastors sharing how people, they never thought would fall away, have fallen away. And it's sad. It's sad to see. We've seen it. You know, others are seeing it, you know, we need to pray, but we need, we're, we are accountable for ourselves. How, how many of you know that each one of us is going to stand before God to give an account for ourselves. Husbands, you will stand before God to give an account for your family. Pastor, you'll stand before God, you and I, to give an account for this church, But each one of us will stand before God and give an account for what we've done. So the nugget today, thank you, honey, for writing this. Friends are like buttons on an elevator. Some take you up while others take you down. I'm going to say that again. Brands are like buttons on an elevator. Some take you up while others take you down. You know, when I I didn't read this until this morning or till just now, and I think about how many saw the movie Elf when he got on the elevator, he saw all those things light light up, and so he pressed every button on that elevator. That that would be That would move your patience, I have to tell you. Let patience have her perfect work. Amen? So, this is my introduction today. Father, I just thank you and I praise you for the privilege that I have to sit here and teach this word. I thank you, God, that this word, this seed, will fall upon good ground, good soil, and it will bring forth a mighty harvest. I thank you, Father God, that this morning we have communion. We will be receiving communion. And I thank you, Father God, when Pastor Dave lays hands on each person, something magnificent will take place. It says to call upon the elders of the church, and he will anoint you with oil. And the prayer of faith will heal the sick. And if there be any sin, it will be forgiven them. How how powerful your com- your communion table is God, we thank you for the blood and the bread which represents your body and and the grape juice which repres- represents your blood, and the Bible says that we overcome or we've overcome Satan by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony, so God, I thank you that As this seed falls upon good ground, good soil this morning, there will be a mighty harvest. In any areas of our lives that need to line up to the word that maybe we've gotten off the track in some way, I thank you that we will hear the word and become doers of your word. And I yield myself to you, spirit, soul, and body in the mighty name of Jesus. And we thank you, God, ahead of time for this word, this seed. And at any point, if you want to add to it, Lord, I'm open. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for being here. We bind any type of confusion that would come in and try to steal the word. And we loosen the power and the anointing of God in this house. And everyone said amen. We live in a time when people are falling by the wayside daily. We could just sit by and talk about how evil they must have been, or we could realize that they were just as capable of doing this. We could realize that we are just as capable of doing the same thing. In the epistle of 1 Timothy, Paul gives Timothy three keys that will help him to stay on course. I dare say that if we could grasp these things, we too would be safe in the midst of dangerous days. How many know that we're in the midst of dangerous days, the time that we're living in? God knew that we would be living in this time. So he's not really concerned about it because he knows if we hear his word and we do his word that we will walk under that covering, that supernatural covering. And not only that, in the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us and has quickened our mortal bodies. And so we need to realize who we are in Christ Jesus and who he is in us. Amen. So the first warnings given by Paul, number one, Let's turn to 1 Timothy 1, 6 6 through 7. You know, to Paul, Timothy was like a son to him. And he had a great family. His grandmother served God. His mother served God. He was very blessed in that area. So he heard about the Lord all his life. He heard about the word. He he had an understanding all his life. Now, some of us were not that blessed. When I was a kid growing up, when I heard about the Lord, it was in a cuss word. So some people are very blessed to be born into homes where they were taken to church. They got to hear about the word, and they they were able to understand the word. Others lived in the world, had worldly parents, and did not know anything about the word. My mom sent me to a private school in my freshman year, but they never told you about the word. It was all about the law, the do's and the don'ts, and that you needed you needed to get saved, but never told you how. You know, it's one thing to tell a person they need to get saved, but you need to explain to them how in the world, okay? So warnings given by Paul. A, some have swerved, 1 Timothy 1, 6 and 7. How many have ever been on a... Driving down the the street and all of a sudden somebody swerves out in front of you or you think they're gonna do something and all of a sudden they swerve into another lane. So when I think about swerve, so let's look at this. First Timothy one, six and seven, from which some have swerved swerved, have turned aside again. Aside unto vain jangling, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say, nor wherefore they affirm. I'm going to read this out of the Amplified. But certain individuals have missed the mark on this very matter and have wandered away into vain arguments and discussions and purposeless talk. They are ambitious to be doctors of the law, teachers of the mosaic ritual, but they have no understanding either of the words and terms that they use or the subject about which which they make such dogmatic assertions. Okay, number B under the number one warnings from God B is some have made shipwreck. First Timothy 1:18 through 20. This charge, oh let's go up to 17. Now under the King, the king eternal, immortal, invisible. The only wise God be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy. According to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them might war a good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience, which some having put away, Concerning faith, have made shipwreck. Of whom is Hymenius and Alexander, whom I have delivered unto Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. So, this is a sad thing. Paul had to deliver them over to Satan, Hymenius and Alexandra. Now, in the Amplified, <clears throat> it says, Now to the King of Eternity, verse 17, incorruptible and immortal, invisible, the only God, be honored and glory forever and ever to the ages of ages. This charge and admonition I commit in trust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with prophetic... Intimation, in, sorry, I'm intimation, intimate, whatever, my Bible is all bent in that spot, which I formally received concerning you, so that inspired and aided by them, you may wage the good war, warfare, holding fast to faith, holding fast to faith faith is the substance of things what and the evidence of things not seen so holding fast to faith that learning of the entire human person leaning of the entire human personality in God is absolute trust and confidence so we are to lean uh, of the entire human personality On God in absolute trust and confidence, and having a good, clear conscience, by rejecting and thrusting from their conscience, some individuals have made shipwreck of their faith. Among them are Hymenius and Alexander, excuse me, whom I have delivered to Satan in order that they may be disciplined by punishment and learn not to blaspheme. That's pretty heavy. Then he goes on in chapter 2 to say, First of all, then, I admonish and urge you that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be offered on behalf of all men. So, he, you know, when you have time, go ahead and read chapter 1 and chapter 2. So, first warning was, some have swerved. Second warning is, some have made shipwreck. The third warning, C, is, some shall depart. 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 3. But the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats which God hath created to be received, with thanksgiving of them which believed and know the truth. How many, I mean, I hate to say this, but nowadays, everywhere you go, people are not getting married. Instead, they're living together. They think it's okay. I talked to a woman the other day, and um, she I. I didn't. I did not know she was unmarried and she's expecting a baby. And I asked her. I said, "Um, "What is is your husband happy because it's it's a girl?" I believe she said. And she said, "Well, I'm not married yet. I'm not ready to get married till after the baby." And I'm, you know, I told Pastor last night we were talking about that's that's normal nowadays. How many realize that? That's 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 the normal. That should not be the norm. You know, in the old days, that was definitely, that was not the norm. And so we look at this in the Amplified Bible, in 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 3, but, but the Holy Spirit distinctly and expressively declares that in latter times, some will turn away from the faith Giving attention to deluding and seducing spirits and doctrines that demons teach. Through the hypocrisy and pretension of liars, those consciences consciences are seared, cauterized, who forbid people to marry and teach them to abstain from certain kinds of food which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and have an increasing clear knowledge of the truth. For everything God has created is good, and nothing is to be thrown away or refused if it is received with thanksgiving. Praise God. The next one, D, some are already turned aside after Satan in 1 Timothy 5:15. This was going on back here. Think of how much worse it is now. God wants us to stay on the right track. We're in the last days. We can't turn to the left or to the right. We need to guard our ha- our heart. You know, I taught on that not too long ago. Above all else, guard your heart. Does anybody remember why you guard your heart? The issues of life. Amen. For out of it flows the issues of life. 1 Timothy 5.15 For some are already turned aside after Satan. If any man or woman that believeth have widows, let them relieve them and let not the church be charged that it may relieve them that are widows indeed. Let the elders that rule well counted worthy of double honor, especially like who labor in the word and doctrine. Okay, so we'll go ahead and read this in the Amplified. That's pretty heavy when it says, Some have already turned aside to Satan. Dear God, I never want to turn aside to Satan. I mean, just the thought of that to me is horrifying. What did I say it was? First Timothy 5.15. I'm sorry. For already, some widows have turned aside after Satan. You sit here and you think, I'm going to put it bluntly. I'll just, not only widows, but divorced people, they want to get married so badly. That they're just going to turn away from God to go find someone. And I'm going to tell you, most of the time what they find is is not what God has for them. You know, I've talked to several people that have gone on dating sites. And they said, you cannot believe what's out there. Well, I can believe what's out there. Anyway, let's move on warnings given by Paul. E Some have erred concerning the faith. First Timothy 6:20 20 and 21. O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust. Avoid profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science falsely so called, which some professing have erred concerning the faith. Grace be with thee, amen. O Timothy, guard and keep and deposit, entrust to you, deposit entrusted to you turn away from their irreverent babbling and godless chatter which the vain and empty and worldly phrases and the subtleties and the contradictions in which is falsely called knowledge and spiritual illumination. For by making such professions, some have erred missing the mark as regards to faith. God, grace, divine favor and blessing be with you all. Amen. There are so many different things out there now that people are turning to. Thank God you know the word. My prayer is that you all have enough word in you. If someone were to come and try to tell you something that's, that's off. You know, when people come with you in the beginning, it's just a little off. But because you build yourself up, I know this church has built themselves up in the word of God and in prayer. It would be very hard for the enemy to just come on the scene and all of a sudden give you some false doctrine and you grab a hold of it. But if you allow yourself to get involved in things that we don't, Well, I'm going to go ahead and go there because the Lord wants me to. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 12 a minute. This is one thing that can really get a person to turn away from the things of God. It's not in my notes, but we'll go wherever the Lord wants us to go today. Excuse me. Hebrews chapter 12. And this this is something that's very... Easy to do in the hour that we're in, unfortunately. But we must guard ourselves against this. Okay. Are you ready? Hebrews chapter 12. Verse 14. We know about discipline. How our earthly fathers disciplined us. Um... Let's look at 11. For the time being, no discipline brings joy, but seems grievous and painful. But afterwards, it yields a peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. You notice you need to be trained by righteousness. By it, the harvest of fruit which consists in righteousness, in conformity to God's will, in purpose, thought, and action resulting in right living and right standing with God so we realize that you I'm just going to say this over each one of you that have been here for a while you have been trained in by the peaceable fruit of righteousness you have been trained by it a harvest of fruit which consists in righteousness in conformity to God's will and purpose, thought and action, resulting in right living and right standing with God. Hallelujah. This is a good time to say, Thank you, Jesus. So then, brace up and re- revigorate and set right your slacken and weaken and drooping hands and strengthen your feeble and palsy and toddling knees. And cut through and make firm a plain and smooth, straight path for your feet. Yes, make them safe and upright and happy paths that you go in the right direction. So that the lame and the halting limbs may not be put out of joint, but rather may be cured. Strive to live in peace. I'll say it again. Strive to live in peace. Say that with me. Strive to live in peace with everybody and pursue that consecration and holiness without which no one will ever see the Lord. So, we're to strive to live in peace with everybody and pursue that consecration and holiness without which no one will ever see the Lord. Exercise foresight. And be on watch and look after one another to see that no one falls back and fails to secure God's grace, his unmerited favor and blessing, in order that no root or resentment, rancor, bitterness, or hatred shoots forth and causes trouble and bitter torment, and the many become contaminated and defiled by it. That's heavy. You can become defiled by these things. It says that no one may become guilty of sexual vice or become a profane, godless, and sacri... sacrilegious person as Esau did who sowed his own birthright for a single meal. Can you imagine a, a pot of lentils? So God is giving us warnings he erred from the faith this guy decided he wanted to go out and be with strange women is what happened to him and so he sold his birthright he was too busy having a good old time okay the second thing is the importance of charity charity is more important number one this number two is the importance of charity more than knowledge in 1 Corinthians 8 1. You say charity is more important than knowledge? Well, let's just look at this. Love covereth what? All things. A multitude of sins. Verse Corinthians 8, 1. Now as touching things offered to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffed up, but charity edifieth. Now about food offered to idols, and of course we know that all of us possesses knowledge concerning these matters, yet mere knowledge causes people to be puffed up, to bear themselves lofty and be proud. But love, affection, and goodwill and benevolence edifies and builds up and encourages one to grow to his full stature. How many of you want to grow up in Christ to your full stature? Well, that's where charity and love come in. more than knowledge is number number two more than any kind of gifts first Corinthians 13 1 and 2 the gifts are great the the Corinthian church was full of gifts but they were lacking in love 13 1 and two If I can speak in tongues of men and even of angels but have not love, that reasoning, intentional, spiritual devotion such as inspired by God's love and for and in us, I am only a noisy gong and clinging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers, the gift of interpretation... To this, the divine will and purpose, and understand all the secret truths and mysteries, and possess all knowledge, and if I have sufficient faith, so that I can remove mountains, but if not but have not love God's love in me, I am nothing, a useless nobody. That's heavy. So these are the three. Things on staying on the right track. The third thing, <clears throat> we're in the importance of charity number two, but more than sacrificial giving, 1 Corinthians 13, 3. Okay. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give up my body to be burned and have not love, It profiteth me nothing. That's heavy. If I don't have charity and I give everything I have, it says in the Amphite, even if I dole out all that I have to the poor in providing food and I surrender my body to be burned or in order that I may glory, but have not love, God's love in me, I gain nothing. Charity is beneficial for others. In 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7, I'm going to read out of the outline. Love endures long and is patient and kind. You know, you might want to put your name in there. <clears throat> Ask yourself this, Pastor Pastor Dave endures long. (laughs) Pastor Peggy endures long. I'll never forget. The first church we were in had a horrible split, and the pastor I was born again under, they were trying to get him out, and this evangelist came, and he said, I want you to put your name before every, before love. So, love endures long and is patient and kind charity and love never is envious nor boils over with jealousy is not boastful or vainglorious does not display itself haughtily wow that's pretty heavy amen let's go on It is not conceited, arrogant, and inflated with pride. It is not rude, unmannerly, and does not act unbecomingly. Love, God's love in us, does not insist on its own rights or on its own way. It takes no account of evil done to it. It pays no attention to the suffered wrong. It does not rejoice in injustice and unrighteousness but rejoices when right and truth prevail. Love bears up under anything and everything that comes is ever ready to believe the best of every person its hopes and fade, its hopes are fadeless under all circumstances, and it endures everything without weakening. Wow, without weakening. Then it says love never fails, amen? Okay, the next one is it covers a multitude of sins in 1 Peter 4.8. Love or charity covers a multitude of sins. I know you've heard this before, but we need to hear it today. There is so much going on out there. Some of you have stuff going on at work. Some of you have stuff going on constantly at work. Sometimes you look at someone that's calling you on the phone, and you go, I don't want, I just, all right, I'm going to share myself. Pastor did it last week. Sometimes I'll look at the person and I'll go, oh, no, I know this is going to take forever. Do I answer it or not? Well, of course you do. If you're going to walk in love, you're going to answer it. That's where you go beyond yourself and you think of the other person. Amen. Okay. First Peter 4, eight. Everybody smile. Above all things, have intense and unfailing love for one another. For love covers a multitude of sins, forgives, and disregards the offenses of others. Forgives. You know, there's one thing to forgive. But some people say, I've forgiven you, or will you forgive me, or whatever... But they keep bringing it up. They can't quit talking about it. If you have truly forgiven something, then you're not going to keep continue talking about it. You're going to cast that thing away. As 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, Casting down imaginations and reasonings and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. When Jesus told them that they needed to forgive seven times 70, I can just imagine what they were thinking. Peter especially. I can imagine it. Are you kidding? So God's telling us that our love covers a multitude of sins, not just on that person, but for ourselves even. Have you ever thought about that? You think, oh, well, I'm going to go ahead and love them and cover their sins. Well, when we operate in love, we are covering our sins, too, because Jesus is a love God, and he does not. He's not standing up there speaking to the Father about everything we do wrong all day long. No, he's up there constantly making intercession for us Telling God how perfect we are through his blood. Thank you, Jesus. That's enough to get excited about. Charity or love never never compromises truth. 1 Corinthians 13, 6. Never compromises truth. You know, God is black and white. How many know that? He's not wishy-washy. <laughs> he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he's not going to change. A lot of people think he's going to come down to their level and change for them. It's not how it works, church. Charity never compromises truth. 1 Corinthians 13, 6. I don't know how I got to 6, but anyway, we'll go over here to 13 we can all say this is a good sermon to stomp toes it does not rejoice at injustice and unrighteousness but rejoices when right and truth prevail it does love bears up under anything and everything that come that comes is ever ready to believe the best of every person Its hopes are fadeless under all circumstances and it endures everything without weakening. Hallelujah. Are you enduring everything without weakening? Charity or love is the bond of perfectness. Colossians 3.14. Remember, these are the three keys on staying on the right track and this is number two, the importance of charity or love. Same difference. Colossians. You know, some people are just unlovable. The Bible says we don't have to like their actions, but we need to love them. How many realize that? Colossians 3.14. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. Praise you, Jesus. And above all these things, put on love and enfold yourselves with the bond of perfectness, which binds everything together completely in ideal harmony. And the very next verse says, and let Peace, soul harmony, which comes from Christ's rule, act as an umpire continually in your hearts, deciding and settling with finality all questions that arise in your minds in that perfect state to which, as members of Christ's one body, you were also called to live, And be thankful, appreciative, giving praise to God always. Hallelujah. You know, sometimes you, you know, I'm going to talk to married people. Sometimes, you know, things can be irritating and aggravating. But we're told you have to walk in love no matter what. Well, sometimes you might need to go outside and pray for yourself and then come back in the house. Well, they're the one that did it. Well, you're the one that's getting upset. Amen? It takes two to fight. How many know that? Okay. The third thing is the importance of a good conscience. Charles Spurgeon did not take a soft approach to leadership in his church. Once he told a man his conscience must be new, for he never seemed to use it. A, the work of the conscience, John 8, 9. How many know before you're even born again, you have a conscience? You know what's right and wrong. Little kids know what's right and wrong. They know that they're going to get in trouble if they do something, yet they've never received Jesus. You can just look at they know it. And yet they'll push, they will push the button. And church, I'm here to tell you when you know a child is pushing that button, don't give in to them. Because you're just allowing them to get away with it. And the more they're allowed to get away with it, the more their conscience begins to fall away from God. Instead of coming to God, it starts to numb itself and do the complete opposite. So... When you have a baby, when we have a baby dedication here and the parents bring that child up and dedicate that child to God, what they're saying is we're giving, you have given us this child and we're giving him back to you. And now God gives him back into your hands to raise for him. You know, sometimes we've all, you know, all of us that are parents know that it's easier to just give into that thing to, than to hear them go on and on and on. But the word says that we can't. You know, a lot of children today, their conscience has been seared. They know exactly how to go from one parent to the other, to get one parent to say yes, when the other parent has said no. You know, so don't ever say to a child, go ask your mother or go ask your father, deal with it. And if the little sucker tries to get out of it, drag them in there with the other parent and have a conversation. That's the best way to deal with it. You say, how do you know? Three sons, four grandsons and two great grandsons, trust me, I know. Okay. The work of the conscience in John 8, 9. The con- ne- knowledge of evil actions, conscience. So knowledge, the knowledge of evil actions, his conviction, First John 8, 9. I'm sorry, I read that wrong. Knowledge of evil actions brings conviction. Now, what do we do with conviction? Sometimes it's the, your conscience telling, don't do that. John 8, 9. I'm sorry, What did I say first John? It's regular John, big John. Don't try to talk someone else into making the decision for you when you already know what God has told you. 8 9. Well, this is where they brought the woman to Jesus. Remember the woman caught in adultery? I don't know where the man was. Um, Let's go up to verse 3. And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery and when they had set her in the midst they say unto him Master this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses is in the law commanded us that she should be stoned but what sayeth thou. See they're trying to catch him but what do you say to do with her what is your sentence this they said to try to test him verse 6 hoping they might find a charge on which they can accuse him but Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger however when they persisted with their questions, he raised himself up and he said, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw the stone at her. Then he bent down and went on writing on the ground with his finger. Then they listened to him and then they began going out conscience stricken one by one from the oldest down to the last of them, till Jesus was left alone with the woman standing there beside, before him at the center of the court. When Jesus raised himself up, he said to her, Woman, where are your accusers? Has no man condemned you? She answered, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, I do not condemn you either. Go on your way. And from now on, sin no more. Look at what he's saying. It says here that their consciences in verse 9. And they which heard it being convicted by their own conscience. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Romans 9.1, no, Romans 2.15, I'm sorry. They knew better. You know, some things you just, you know better. You don't need the word on it. You know better. And there's certain things, you don't go rob a bank. You know, the Holy Spirit has never told me, don't go rob the bank. My conscience tells me, don't go rob it. You understand what I'm saying? Romans, I've heard people tell me, well, God never told me not to do that. Sitting in my counseling, in the count, across from me, and I'm looking at them like, are you kidding? That's a law of the land. God doesn't have to tell you everything. You should already know it. All right. Y'all get what I'm talking about? Romans 9.1. It's hilarious. Some of the things I've heard, sometimes I just want to shake my head. Pastor knows there's times I get off the phone and I just shake my head. Not from any of you guys. 9.1. I say the truth in Christ. I lie not. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost. I am speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience enlightened and prompted by the Holy Spirit bearing witness within me that I have bitter grief and and incessant anguish in my heart. You go on later and read all that. But, But knowledge of right actions. Your conscience will tell you don't do that okay B on number three is the work of a good conscience it must be exercised Acts 24 16 you know when your conscience tells you don't do something and you keep doing it then you're going to end up searing your conscience and that's the problem nowadays with so many people Especially little kids. Twenty four sixteen. Thank you, Jesus. I hope you're getting something out of this today. Therefore, and here and herein I do exercise myself to. Always to have always a conscience void of offense towards God and towards men I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense towards God and towards men in other words I refuse to become offended no matter what and trust me Every day, every one of us has the opportunity to be offended. Unless you're living on an island by yourself, but you could even look in the mirror and become offended. (laughs) I'm sorry, I have to laugh at this. Verse 16 in the Amphid. Therefore I always exercise and discipline myself, mortifying my body, deadening my carnal affections, bodily appetites, and worldly desires, endeavoring in all respects to have a clear, unshakable, blameless conscience, void of offense towards God and towards men. Hallelujah. Amen? Number two under B, void of offense towards God and men. We just read that. Willing to suffer rejection. Are you willing to suffer rejection? That's something we all love to do. Um, in First Peter 2.19, you're not going to be popular with everybody. For this is thankworthy if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering, and wrong, suffering wrongfully. It says in the Amplified for one is regarded favorably, is approved acceptable, acceptable, and trustworthy if, as in sight of God, he endures the pain and of unjust suffering. Have some of you had some unjust suffering lately? It is pure. Second Timothy one three. This is something he's to staying on the right track. And this conscious thing is a big thing. Second Timothy one three. I thank God who I'm worship with a pure conscience in the spirit of my fathers, and without ceasing, I remember you night and day in my prayers. I thank God who who I worship with a pure conscience. I haven't, you know, a pure conscience is, I haven't done anything to purposely harm these people or hurt these people or this person. Amen. Amen. The next one is, see in this number three the failure of a human conscience a weak conscience 1 Corinthians 8 7 you know this might be something that you might want to really pray about God have I so tainted my conscience that I I can't hear from you or I can't see right from wrong. 8, 7. Okay. Howbeit there is not in every man that knowledge for some with conscience of the idol unto this hour eat it as a thing offered unto an idol, but their conscience being weak is defiled. Nevertheless, not all believers possess this knowledge, but some through being all their lives until now accustomed to thinking of idols as real and living is still considered the food offered to an idol at that sacrifice to an actual God and their weak conscience becomes defiled and injured if they eat. Now food itself is not cause will not cause our acceptance of god nor condemn us to him eating food offered to idols gives us no advantage neither do we come short or become any worse if we do not eat it okay so to wound a weak conscience is to sin against christ in 1 corinthians 8:12 and when you sin against your brethren in this way, wounding and... Ja- and well, that's, we're going to have to move up. Let's go to 11. And by your enlightenment, your knowledge of spiritual things, this weak man is ruined, is lost and perishes, the brother for whom Christ the Messiah died. And when you sin against your brethren in this way, wounding and damaging their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if my eating food is the cause of my brother's falling or the hindering his spiritual advancement, I will not eat such flesh forever, lest I cause my brother to be tripped up and fall and to be offended. Well, this is talking about food, but there's other things that you if you know that if you do something and it's going to offend your brother or sister in the Lord, don't do it. Don't do it in front of them. Amen. You all understand what I'm saying? I hope. The importance of faith, number four. Various levels of faith. Lacking faith. First Thessalonians three ten. I evidently it's supposed to be four things, just staying on the right track. Verse Thessalonians 3.10 I'm going to tell you I do not want anything between me and God do you know when there's nothing between you and God when you lay hands on the sick they recover things start to happen around you 1 Thessalonians 3.10 Night and day, praying exceedingly that we might see your face and might perfect that which is lacking in your faith. So there can be an area where you're lacking in faith. Steadfast faith, Colossians 2.5. How many want steadfast faith? How many know what that is? That's every time you pray for something it comes to pass because you're steadfast. Amen. For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I Am I with you in the spirit? Join and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ Jesus. As you've received Jesus Christ, the Lord so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Hallelujah. Strong faith, Romans 4.10. How was it then reckoned when he was in circumcision? I don't think this is the right one. 420, I'm sorry. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. He was strong in faith, giving glory to God. No matter what Sarah looked like, I'm going to go on down to this to the next thing. There's scriptures. B in this is the defense of faith, and it's First Thessalonians three five through six. It fights every temptation, fiery darts of the wicked. Ephesians six sixteen. And the breastplate of faith is one of our defensive pieces of armor. 1 Thessalonians 5.8 Conclusion Are you willing to give yourself to charity, a good conscience, and faith in the words of God? According to the scriptures, a departure from these principles will end in danger every time. Let's make a statement or two about the matter of temptation in First Corinthians 10:13. Let's look there. The Bible, you know, says, "Counted all joy when you encounter diverse tests and trials, knowing that the trying of your faith worketh patience." Amen. Amen. And so, First Corinthians 10:13. There hath no temptation taking you, but such as is common to men. but God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but with the temptation, also maketh the way to escape, that you may be able to bear it. Okay? We know temptation is never from God. in James 1:13, never. You'd be surprised how many people think that God is tempting them. The church I was born again in taught that. James 1.13 Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm tempted from God. For God is incapable of being tempted by what is evil, and he himself tempts no one. Thank you, Jesus. These are the ways out of temptation, how to deal with temptation. Deal with it immediately. Number one, nip it in the bud. Don't wait when you see it and when it comes, deal with it then. Two, deal with it realistically. Get away from it at all cost. Just get away from it. Three, Deal with it ruthlessly. Do whatever it takes to avoid it. Four. Deal with it consistently. Learn to be consistent in your resistance. Learn to be consistent in your resistance. Just don't let it slide away. You know, so many people, when it comes... I'll deal with that later. Well, the later you deal with it, the more it keeps coming. How many have found that? The next one. Deal with it confident, confidently. We have the Lord's great promise in 1 Corinthians 10:13, he will make a way of escape. God will make a way of escape. Just be sure you look for it. That's the big problem. Most people don't look for it. They're so bound up in this thing that's going on that they're not looking for the way of escape, and it always comes. Just be sure you look for it. The word escape means egress or way out. It was used in ancient Greek to to refer to a landing place for a ship. God will give us a way of through sea of temptation. Those temptations that we those temptations that we feel we cannot escape he will enable us to bear them. God's promise to us is that while temptation will come our way honey you're going to do communion in just a second he will enable us to land safely on the other side. So when temptation comes, you need to immediately deal with it and look for the way of escape. God promises that you will make it through, but you've got to do your part. Amen? He's not a man that he should lie. Come on up here, baby. Hope you got something out of this. Three keys to staying on the right track. Warnings given by Paul, the importance of charity. I'm sorry, four things. The importance of a good conscience. And the importance of faith.
1: Okay, glory to God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul writes, i begin with verse 23, For I have received the Lord, which he also delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner he also took the cup, and when he had stopped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye, off, de- this do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as oft as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show forth the Lord's gift till he come. Praise God. Hallelujah. Uh, okay, if, if Dan and Christine would come up, we'll, uh, they'll open up the communion table. Thank you. The pastor anoints you with oil. I would say it's a short time that we have here on earth things are progressing so quickly and for, that the bible is showing to come to pass so uh, i know that the lord says he would not take partake in the communion table until we were all together as a family but father we praise you we just give you thanks we thank you lord for the blessing, Father God, that you bestowed upon us through your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we look to the bread, Father God, the bruises and stripes on it, Father God, your word says that by Jesus' stripes are we made whole. And I thank you, Lord, as we receive the bread, Father God, we recognize, Father God, there is a blessing, Father God, Through the body of the Lord. Thank you, Lord.
0: Thank you, Jesus.
1: Thank you, Lord. As we look to the cup, Jesus said this was the new covenant made through his blood, a covenant that washes away all our sins, has given us the opportunity to be a child of God, to live forever with him. We thank you for that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's all stand. Lord, we just thank you for making us complete In the Lord Jesus, from the top of our head to the very soles of our feet, Father God, we are new creations. We've been bought by the Christ. (coughs) That we are servants of yours, even greater than a servant, Father God, you call us friends. Father God, as we go our separate ways, this day. We thank you, Lord, that we are blessed coming in and blessed going out. Father God, you declared blessings upon us. And Father God, as we meet others, may we share that blessing. So, Father, we praise you. We just give you thanks once again for your wonderful, bountiful love. Amen.